Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of To The Point Podcast. Hope you guys all enjoyed a great weekend. Um, we're here Monday, March 8th. After a wild couple of days in the world of sports, uh, Friday I touched on a little bit about, um, you know, Daryl Sutter being hired and, uh, you know, Jeff Ward being fired in Calgary. But then we saw the passing of Walter Gretzky, Chris Schultz. Um, a lot of sad news over the weekend when it comes to that. And then, uh, you know, a, a couple of big sports stories over the weekend as well with the likes of um, you know, big UFC event that I'm, that I'm going to touch on, some controversial finishes there. Um, you know, the Arnold Palmer uh, and some, some uh, injury notes um, for the Masters upcoming. And then, you know, the biggest headline was, you know, Tom Wilson being suspended, which I'll, I'll get into. Um, if you join me and Matt Wright there Saturday morning on Facebook, we did a little Q&A about it. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised that he's suspended. I'm a little bit surprised of the, the amount of games, but um, I'll dive into that and what, you know, another hit this weekend that I got a guy ejected. And I'll be interesting, interested to see how the league handles um, that hit retroactively to, to the Wilson suspension. But I thought I'd start off the podcast talking about golf. Um, I mentioned, you know, I mentioned last week, you know, golf in the next month is really, I think it's the best stretch of the season. Some really good tournaments in the summer. Um, you know, you got that stretch in normal season, you got the Canadian open, then you have the U S open the week after. And prior to that, you got a, a tournament at Beth page black, but it doesn't look like um, the Canadian open will be played for the second straight year because of COVID protocols and things of that nature. So that looks like it's a no go. But, you know, this stretch of you got a bunch of tournaments down in Florida. You know, it looks like great weather. I'm sure a lot of people are, are envious when you watch golf and it's, you know, 85 degrees and you're seeing the guys be out there um, hitting the ball around. But yeah, a weekend where we saw a lot of ups and downs. Um, you know, the leader after 36 holes was Canadian Corey Connors. He was playing some really consistent golf. Um, he Saturday. He dropped off a little bit, still stayed in the hunt. He was tied for a second after, um, after Saturday's play. Uh, Lee Westwood jumped out to the lead at 11 under. He shot six under Saturday. You had DeChambeau, who shot three under Saturday. So he was a stroke behind and uh, at 10 under. And, you know, Sunday was a – obviously, if you, if you know golf, they change the pins. They change, you know, where, where the hole is. And it killed players yesterday. You know, that course – and it's a tough course. I mean, you, you listen to, you know, golf's one of the events where I, I listen to the sound because you know, I like to learn about the course and how it's playing, you know, listening to the guys in NBC yesterday, like Brando Chambly, um, you know, Steve Sands and a few others. It, it's a really tough course and the way they set up, you know, the greens are really hard to read. And, you know, if, if you, if your driver or if off the tee, if you're not getting it on the fairway, it's going to be tough for you. We saw that all day, you know, DeChambeau, he bogeyed one because he, he missed his, his shot. He, he uh, put it, put it in the weeds and he had to scramble his way out, got a bogey, but that was all day. That was the constant theme. You go into the day, Lee, West, Lee Westwood's at 11 under DeChambeau's 10 under Corey Connors is 10 under Jordan Spieth's nine under. And you know, Keegan Bradley's nine under and a few other guys were close. Tommy Fleetwood came into the day at eight under. So going it over Keegan Bradley shoots six, uh, six over par after he shot eight under on Saturday, just a complete role reversal finishes minus three for the tournament. 
and had a horrible Sunday from, from the get-go. He goes bogey, double bogey on the first two holes. And, you know, second hole being a, a par three, just a miserable start for him. You got Rory McIlroy, who is seven under, still in it, but he, his driver struggled all weekend. Um, he shot over par Saturday and Sunday, but shot five over yesterday. Um, he couldn't f- figure out his driver. It kept going. It didn't land on the fairway. Goes in the fescue. You got to chip your way out of it. It can be a mess. Um, you also got some really, really tough bunkers. If you miss your shot and it goes into a bunker, it's not a tournament where, you know, even if you're the best in the world, that's, you know, sand saves, which is where you put it in the bunker and, you know, on your third of a par four, your third shot gets it in, you know, within five feet of the hole and you par the hole. It wasn't happening a lot this weekend for, for these top players. Then you Corey Connors yesterday went one over. So not a terrible day for Corey, but um, he's, he actually shot pretty well for, for what the field did yesterday, but he wasn't great. So he finishes um, tied for third in the tournament. But we look at the winner and you know, Bryson DeChambeau wins this tournament. It's his third win since July. He won the Rocket Mortgage in July. Then he won the U.S. Open at, uh, at uh, Bethpage Black. And then he wins the Arnold Palmer here. Um, this is, it's really an impressive tear. Um, he's a guy that really transformed his body. He put on, you know, close to 40 pounds of muscle. Um, and I think it's might be even more than that now, but you know, Saturday, if you're watching golf and I'm, even if you don't watch golf and you're on Twitter, he hit his drive. It's a par, a par five on the six hole. He, <laughs> you have to go over water and most guys are, you know, hitting it over the small part, just laying up and you can still get an easy birdie doing that, hitting it, you know, 200, 250 yards. DeChambeau decides to take it the long way. He bombs it over the water. He's got to get it over this ridge. It's a really tricky shot, but he hits his driver 370 yards and he's about 80 feet to the hole. And it, Again, he birdies the hole. So it's not even like he eagled it, but it's it's really, really impressive what this guy can do. I mean, you watch the guy swing. It's so violent and it's so, you know, just precise the way he does it. And, you know, I think he's great for golf. I mentioned golf's in a really good spot right now. Um, and it's because you do have some personalities and you got to have great players, but, you know, DeChambeau's just different. You know, um, he's the mad scientist. He can be infuriating at times because he keeps looking at his at his book and looking at um, you know, different places, at angles where, where the hole is and different things like that. He, he's such a numbers guy. But, you know, he hits that drive on Saturday, 370, and he puts his arms in the air and celebrates. You know, it's just, it's Happy Gilmore-esque where this guy's just not afraid to be himself and he's just proud of, of what he did. And then he does the same thing on Sunday except I think he hit it farther. I think it was about 380, 85 yards on Sunday on, on the sixth hole. And, that, and you see on, on Sunday, he's put, he's paired with Lee Westwood, who was the leader. You know, Westwood hits at about 275 and he puts his arms in the air to kind of mimic DeChambeau. And I, it wasn't a, it wasn't a situation where he was mocking him. It was just, I think he appreciated, you know, his, his vitriol and the way he, the way he handled himself on, on Saturday, having fun. Um, and you know, he wins the tournament and it was tough, you know, Westwood parred the 18th hole, um, a nice key pot to put, put the pressure on DeChambeau. 
Shambo had to make the par putt to win the tournament, or if he misses, we're going to a playoff between him and Lee Westwood. But he sinks a tough putt on, on the 18th hole. He lets out a primal yell. Um, and it's hard, to, it's hard to, to say that he's not one of the best golfers in the world right now. Now, to start this year, Dustin Johnson hasn't been great. I mean, he has won a tournament, so keep that with a grain of salt. But, you know, he hasn't been as consistent as he was last summer. And we see Kepka. Um, he's played some good golf this year. McElroy hasn't been consistent. Spee's been there, but then you <laughs> you get to later in the tournament and you, the later rounds, and he kind of blows himself up like he did yesterday. So he's not a guy you can trust. Justin Thomas is still an elite player, but again, DeChambeau's won three times in the past since July. That's other than Dustin Johnson. That's the most on tour. And, you know, Justin Thomas, just for reference, has won one tournament in that span. So it's, it's impressive what DeChambeau's doing. I think it's great to have a villain. I think he's, he is the villain, whether that's, you know, fair or not. I think he embraces that. Um, He's going to be Bryson DeChambeau, whether people want him to be, you know, uh, clean cut and, you know, this kind of perfect guy, so to speak, he's never going to be that. And I appreciate him being authentic and genuine because that's what you want in your athletes. You don't want to see a guy who's trying to be all preppy and, you know, kind of, you know, the golf norm when he's not, you know, I, I, I I can relate that to myself. I'm a person that um, I describe myself as a contrarian. I, I like to take, the, uh, the argument that most people aren't making. Um, and sometimes that can get me into trouble, but you know, I'll live and die by it. Um, you know, I'll talk about the Tom Wilson hit. It's a key example of, uh, most people not being on my side and I really don't care. I, I, am going to say what I think is right. And it's, it's funny. We got DeShambo, who, again, I don't root for anybody, but I think the guy's really compelling. I think him and a guy like Kepka are really compelling. You know, McElroy, he isn't as compelling to watch just because he doesn't give you anything. He's just, you know, he's Rory McIlroy and he's probably the best driver in golf right now. I, this weekend he wasn't, but normally he's a guy that's going to put it on the fairway. He's going to, he can hit it as far as DeChambeau uh, normally. I mean, the guy, the guy can bomb it, but it, it's just nice to have in every sport to have guys that are a little bit different. I think in hockey, you got a guy like David Pasternak. He's not a fighter. He's not a, He's not a guy that's going to drop the gloves. He doesn't throw as many hits, but he's got personality. He's a superstar with personality. He's not Sidney Crosby where, you know, he's so like saying that Sidney Crosby is vanilla is like doing a disservice to vanilla. Like people clamor for vanilla. People love vanilla ice cream. You know, people don't want to, people don't clamor for the Sidney Crosby interview. Uh, if, if you are, Oof, I feel bad for you because that's, you're living a boring life, but um, you know, it, it's just, it's good to have personality in sport and it keeps everybody engaged. And I think for fans, you're going to be engaged in the sport, whether you love the guy or hate the guy. If you see him at the top of the leaderboard in a major and you're like Saturday afternoon, ah, maybe, you know, it's July, maybe I'll go boating, but maybe you're like, well, DeChambeau, he's, you know, he's four under and he's, hitting that drum maybe i'll stay in and watch you know it's certain things going to keep people interested and it's not always just going to be well oh murray mcroy's at the top of the heap i want to watch and see what happens sometimes it's just okay i hate this guy let's let's watch i think for 
for years, I, mean, I could think of players like Sean Avery. Sean Avery is a guy that kept people engaged. You know, New Jersey, New York Rangers, that doesn't sound like such a sexy series, but people were glued to it because him and Marty Brodeur were going at it, and Avery was different. He was an agitator, and people tuned into those games because they wanted to see what Avery would do next. And I think that's – I think Tom Wilson has got like that uh, in, t- in today's game. Josh Anderson's another guy for me where – not a dirty player, but he's a guy that plays the game differently than 95% of the league. He throws hits. He's not afraid to engage physically, and he can score goals at will. There's not many guys that can do that. You know, Austin Matthews is super – that's not – we're talking about different things. It's just keeping guys, keeping these stars and keeping fans entertained is the name of the game. That's what you want to do. You want to keep eyes on your screen, eyes on your product, and having – Guys that are a little bit outside the box is, is definitely a helping hand in that. Um, one piece of news of the weekend, you know, Brooks Kepka announced Saturday that he's going to be, he's not playing um, this coming weekend at the Players' Championship um, because he's out with a knee injury. He's, he's had some injury problems. Basically all of last season, he was out with an injury. So this is a bit concerning. He's had knee surgery before. Um Maybe it's just precautionary because if you know golf, you know Brooks Kepka. He's a guy that he's said it before. I really don't care about any tournament that's not a major. Um, you know, I gear up for the majors. I want to win them. And, you know, that's that. If I don't win these other tournaments, they're all just practice rounds for me. So he, it worries me a little bit. I mean, he won a tournament a couple weeks ago at the Waste Management. But he, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. I, I hopefully he can get a tournament in before um, before the, the masters and we've got a match play coming up. There's another tournament in Texas. So he could get in around, bef- you know, a full uh, weekend before, I think that's pivotal for him, but I, it, it would surprise me a lot if he wasn't at, at the, at Augusta national. I mean, this guy wants, he loves the majors. That's what he plays for. And, you know, he's won for them. So looking for number five at, at the masters would not surprise me in, in the slightest. Um, but yeah, uh, like I said, we're coming down to the wire here a couple weeks till, till the, till the masters big tournament this weekend at the players, we should see probably close to all 50 Kepka being out, but the top 50 players in the world, probably 48 to 47 to 48 of them will be at the players. Um, so that'll be fun to see, including, uh, DeChambeau. I think he'll be back this weekend. He said he's going to play at the players. So, um, yeah, good for Bryson. Um, you know, a tough, tough Sunday for a lot of really good players. And I'm sure Lee Westwood, who only shot one over yesterday, is probably pin- a little bit mad at himself a little bit because he's an older guy who knows if he's going to win another another event on tour. And he was so close to this one, but um, ultimately DeChambeau beats him out by a stroke. Saturday night, um, was UFC 259. Um, and, you know, UFC, they were really, during the pandemic, they started off first. It was them in golf. Um, in May, they had their first pay-per-view event in Jacksonville, um, and they haven't slowed down from there. We've seen some some great fights. Um, it was Sam McGregor come back. We saw uh, Habib Nurmagomedov fight Gaethje. Um, we've seen some really good events. Um, Tony Ferguson was fighting early. Um, so, you know, UFC hasn't really slowed down and it, with, they've gone to Abu Dhabi, they've had little to no fans, but, you know, Dana White's made it work. 
And I think the pay-per-view buys have they've shown them that the interest in the sport continues to skyrocket. And, you know, UFC 259 was really hyped as one of the, maybe one of the greatest cards of all time. We had three different title fights with four champions in, in the field. Um, we also saw uh, Habib Nurmagomedov's protege, uh, protege Islam Makachev fight um, for the first time since 2019. He defeated Drew Dober by submission. Um, he's, you know, Habib is in his corner, you know, he's with him at the fight. And that tells you a lot about what Habib thinks of, about this guy and his potential. Um, he's going to move up the rankings at lightweight and you got to look at him. If he can win a couple more fights, I think he's going to be right there for the title. We're going to see, you know, Charles Oliveira fight likely against Dustin Poirier, hopefully upcoming. There's Michael Chandler who's in the mix. You know, but, you know, Islam came out and said he wants to fight Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson's a guy who was supposed to fight Habib on a number of different occasions. But, you know, they, some things didn't work. One time it was Habib um, had to miss a fight. And then Tony Ferguson had to get out of a fight because of family issues. So, you know, Islam said after the fight he wants to fight Tony Ferguson and, and end his career. He wants to retire him um, and kind of do it for Habib kind of thing. I wouldn't mind that fight. Uh, you know, Islam said he wants to fight two more times in 2021 and then fight um, to start 2022, fight for the belt. And if he can get a couple impressive wins, it wouldn't shock me to do that. I mean, he is literally Habib Nurmagomedov 2.0. He's built like him. He looks like him. And he fights the exact same way. The whole fight against Drew Dober was on the ground where Dober did his best. In two rounds, he survived. Uh, Makachev just basically mauling him on the ground, trying to get him in a submission. Finally, in the third round, he locked him in and he was forced to tap out. But it's this guy, I don't think he's as good as Habib Nurmagomedov, but he's, you know, 19 and one in his fighting career. He's won seven fights in a row in the UFC. And I, I wouldn't mind seeing the, the Ferguson, him, him and Ferguson go at it. Um, I, I think Gagey's too high in the division right now, but that's another guy you know, Gaethje, Makachev would be fun too. We have seen Habib beat um, uh, a Gaethje. So you know, Gaethje fights his, his little protege, knowing what he's getting himself into again. I think that'd be interesting to see how Gaethje would react, how he would uh, learn from that fight and come back and um, fight a little bit differently. Maybe uh, have some counters to what, to what Habib was bringing to the table. So you know, that's a, another angle I think the UFC could push, but um, you know, this kid definitely, I think Dana White is going to see him as, as a star. You know, the language issue is a bit of a concern, but most great fighters right now aren't, they, you know, English isn't their first language. You know, Amanda Nunez, you know, a lot of champions, they're not, you know, American, they're not English. So um, that can be tough to sell, but I think this guy with Habib right next to him, it's going to be a, a th something for the UFC to keep Habib involved in the sport. He's at ringside every time this guy fights. So I think Dana White's going to be all over this guy and promote him heavily moving forward. Um, you know, there's three title fights and the, the first one of the night was Peter Yan versus Alamein Sterling at, 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 ba at Bantamweight. And for the first two, three rounds, you know, Sterling came out of the gate firing. Uh, he was using a lot of energy. He's kind of a unorthodox fighter where He'll take a lot of chances. He's kind of springing around in, in the ring, kind of bouncing around a lot. 
but you know, he, he just ran out of gas and we saw Peter Jan start to really take it, take advantage of him. Um, he had more in the tank. He's fought, you know, in a five round fight before this was Sterling's first one that he's ever been involved in. And, you know, he was, he was just flat out running, running out of gas. He was laying on his back a lot in the fight while Jan would kind of sit there and wait for him to get up. And we, we saw in the fourth round, he didn't have much left in the tank. And, you know, I think after three rounds, Jan was clearly ahead. Um, he would have won the fight as we went to the championship rounds and, and Sterling was fading. Let's just be honest. He, he was getting tired, but it was midway through the fourth round. Sterling was on the ground and there's a rule where you can't knee your opponent when they're on, when they're on their knees like that. It's, it's a, it's against the rules. It can be a disqualification. And Peter Jan's corner yelled to him saying, throw the knee. And he did, he caught Sterling square in the head with, with a knee. And, you know, the ref immediately stopped the fight. Um, and Sterling, this is where it gets complicated. You know, he's on the ground. He's kind of flopping around. He, He's laying on the kind of laying there and he, he's sitting up and then he falls back down again. And it wasn't like when somebody's fighting and you get knocked out and you see them try to get up and then they fall down again. It wasn't like that. I, I never got that. I never got that from, from this guy. Um, but you know, the ref's talking to him saying, can you keep going? Sterling's just kind of flopping around. Like I said, he looked like a, like an NBA player for parts of it. And it, after about five minutes, the ref decided to call the fight. And when a fight ends in disqualification, the person who, you know, Sterling won the Bantamweight title because of a disqualification. Peter, Peter Yan lost his title because of the illegal knee. Um, and you know, there's two, two schools of thought here. Did Peter Yan do something illegal? Yes. He, he, the match should, the fight probably should have been called, but Sterling should never have won the belt that way. Um, and I, I believe that, um, I don't know how he didn't earn that belt. He was going to lose the fight. And I truly believe he did not get up because he knew he was going to lose the fight. He was out of gas. I don't think he had a concussion because he did a post-fight interview. Then he posed yesterday with the belt. Um, I think this was, you know, the, the Bret Hart Montreal screw job, um, where, you know, Jan, yes, he did something wrong, but he getting losing that title when Sterling, I believe, could have kept fighting um, is just not a good look. Um, I think Dana White was pretty pissed off, quite frankly. Um, the way he put the belt around Sterling, he did not look pleased. Um, and I don't know, he could have been pissed off at Jan too, which I'm sure he was, but I don't think you can be happy with your pay-per-view, you get one of your three title fights and your guy wins the belt because, you know, he just decides not to get up. Um, so, you know, Ali Main Sterling, I, I think even Peter Yon are going to fight again, but for him to take that belt and be a champion now, it just doesn't sit well with me. And I don't know how you could take that belt and feel proud. You know, he dropped the belt in the middle of the ring after the fight kind of dramatically, like he didn't even want it. Um, but then he, if you have a concussion, there's no way you should do a post-fight interview. And he goes and does, does a post-fight interview with Joe Rogan. And I'm sitting there thinking, why the hell are you doing an interview if you got a concussion? First of all, the UFC, I don't care if it's a rule that you interview every fighter after it. If a guy's got a concussion, you're not, you're not interviewing him point blank. And you know, Sterling did the interview, got all emotional and, you know, talking to, to Joe Rogan. 
but it didn't seem genuine to me. And it just didn't sit well with me that a guy won a belt because he knew he was going to lose, you know, okay. Yeah. Something illegal happened to you. I don't, again, he could have a concussion, then I'm completely wrong and I'll apologize for it. But it hasn't come out yet that he's got one. Yes, yesterday he posted on Instagram of him posing with the belt. Um, so if I'm I'm sure Peter Yawn and him are gonna fight again. If I'm Yawn, I want to go in there and kick his ass because yes, I screwed up and I did something wrong, but I shouldn't have lost the title that way. If you're gonna beat me, beat me, and Sterling was never gonna beat him. So this win does a couple things. It gives you know, Sterling wins the belt and the way he did it, Jan's going to get a rematch so that kind of pushes back the division. Corey Sanhagen just won his fight a couple weeks ago. He wants a shot at the belt. So that's going to be delayed. You got to think he probably won't get a shot at it till 2022. Um, so the whole night for, for this division, it's really, it's really unfortunate the way, the way it went down. Um, and, you know, it led to, kind of a subpar rest of the evening. Um, you know, Amanda Nunez fought next against Megan Anderson. She destroyed, destroyed her. And in the first round, the fight was over. Um, Nunez winning in, in under two minutes. Um, she's, I don't know what else she can do. You know, she said she wants to keep fighting, but she's got nobody else that really has offered her any competition. She's, you know, the greatest of all time. She beat Ronda Rousey. She's beaten Holly Holm. She's beaten, every you know valentina she's beaten everybody that you can put her up against and honestly the only thing you could probably do right now to make it competitive is put her in a cage with a man and i wouldn't bet against her i think she can kick a lot of the men's ass uh in in the ufc she's that good um and just her her power and she can she's got great power but she can also submit her opponents she's just the complete package and Obviously, you're going to keep fighting because you're really that good and you can make some money doing it, obviously. But I don't know how long she's going to keep doing this. And, you know, Dana White, I think, loves her. He said he'll find creative ways to book her moving forward. But it's almost a foregone conclusion before the match starts that she's going to win. And when it comes to betting, when it comes to interest, you know, Amanda Nunez is such a big name in the sport. But you also want to see competitive fights. And when she's in the when she's in the cage, there really isn't any. I guess you can appreciate her dominance and just look at it as if, wow, you know, we're seeing something really special right now with Amanda and what what she's doing to this, to this women's division and to the UFC in general. But I think it is a bit of a concern moving forward with how are you going to book her? Um, And in the main event, we saw Jan Blaschewicz defeat Israel Adianza. It was Adianza's first defeat ever in his MMA career. Um, Dropped him to 20 and one Blaschewicz defeats him really by getting him on the ground um and he the fourth and fifth the championship rounds he mauled him you know Adianza could not get him could not get off his back with Blaschewicz being on top of him and you know I think Blaschewicz weighed at least 20 pounds heavier than Adianza I'd say it was at least you know they weighed both weighed in at around 200 but you know after you weigh in what you eat is up to you and you can come in at any weight I think he was at least 220 pounds and it didn't look like Izzy had gained a pound. So that was definitely difficult for him, his first defeat. It, it'll be interesting to see what he does moving forward and who Dana White wants to put him up against. Uh, Blaschewicz will likely fight Glover Teixeira, who was in the, uh, who was, he's been waiting for a title opportunity. So he'll likely fight Blaschewicz next. But 
you know, John Jones and Adianza have been feuding for a while, but, you know, John Jones has wanted to move to heavyweight and he wants to fight the winner of uh, Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou on March 27th. So I don't think he'll waver from that, but um, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with him moving forward, who they plan to put him up against, but he still remains a big name, but it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to his first uh, defeat in MMA. But you know, a lot happening this morning. I mentioned March 27th, two title fights with Volvanovsky defending his title. And then Miocic and Ganu for the second time will fight in the main event for the World Heavyweight Championship and the winner uh, facing John Jones, hopefully later in 2021. But with Stipe Miocic, if he does win, who knows? Because he loves, he loves to take a lot of time off after fights. So, but I think Dana White and John Jones will want that fight as soon as possible because John has not fought in, in a long period of time. And he still remains one of the, one of the biggest names in, in the UFC. So a pretty good pay-per-view overall, um, some controversy there, but um, uh, I, they got some great events coming up two fight nights before, for the pay-per-view and the sport just continues to, to get better and better. So uh, like golf, I think it's in a good place right now and they continue to, to put out some really good uh, quality content. That brings us to the NHL this weekend. And, you know, Friday night, the big news, um, Tom Wilson, you know, hits Brandon Carlo. Um, some call it a dirty hit. Um, I call it a check, but um, that, there don't seem to be a difference nowadays between the two. Um, you know, Tom Wilson, I thought he'd get three, four games. Um, did I, Do I think he deserved a game? No. Uh, there's no penalty on the play and this is the problem there's no penalty on the play but video replay which I hate more than anything in life is deciding okay well no that was actually a dirty check so yeah well we're gonna look back on it look at every angle and say okay this is this is such a dirty hit yet the referees on the ice did not have a call on the play they didn't call it charging they didn't call it boarding, which is, which is what it's suspended for. Was not interference, was not head contact, wasn't anything. But then you got the video replay, and they go through every angle, and they go through it and through it and through it. And then finally, wow, seven-game suspension for Tom Wilson, the boogeyman of the league, the guy who's trying to keep physicality in the game of hockey. Let's suspend him. Go figure. Um, and... It's, it's just infuriating to me. Um, you know, the zebras, AKA the referees on the ice are going to be like baseball umpires in the next couple of years extinct. Um, what they don't control anything anymore. Was it goal interference? Well, we don't know. We don't got a brain. There's four of us here, but we don't know. Let's go up and ask Gary. Who's got 50 different angles. Why have officials? Why have officials to call penalties? Why? Because, they didn't call a penalty on the play. And there's a ref right there, but no call. Tom Wilson is not everybody's cup of tea. And I realize that. And Boston fans probably hate him, which good for you. But this is just something for Boston fans to remember. You had Zidane Chara as your captain. I love Z. However, he was one of the dirtiest players in the NHL for a long period of time. You remember game seven against Toronto, he sucker punched John Tavares in the face at the end of the first period. I remember my parents complaining about it at the time saying it was such a dirty play. It was, you know, they were right. I didn't want to give them the satisfaction of saying it because 
there are, they, you know, it, I like Z. Dirty play. The guy gets away with more. He got away with, with more in Boston than probably anybody in the history of the league when it comes to questionable plays. But, you know, the high horse that I saw this weekend of Boston Bruins, you know, Andrew Raycroft on Twitter and uh, Billy Jaffe and all these guys who are supposed to be, you know, these journalists that are unbiased. I mean, that's a joke. Um, Jack Edwards, one of the biggest idiots in, in the game, you know, saying that Tom Wilson was out headhunting. On the hit, was the first point of contact the head? No. So that by definition, I'm, I'm a technical person. I like being, you know, saying stuff that's correct. That's not a hit to the head. He hit him in the body first. And his arms went in and, and did make contact with his head, but that's not a head. That's not a head hit. He wasn't looking for his head there. He didn't go in the corner charging, trying to kill the guy. He was throwing a check. And I, I just think it's so ironic that we see, you know, the NHL suspend Tom Wilson for seven games. And it, it's just, it, it's laughable to me that this is a suspension if, if it was a, if they call it a five on the play and then they go and uh, the league says, okay, that's a five. Okay. That's different to me. Again, I still don't think it would have been a five minute penalty, but you don't call a penalty on the ice. So you're basically telling the officials you suck at your job because this is seven game suspension that you did not give a two minute penalty for. It wasn't a penalty, but in our PC culture where everything's by the book and you have to be nice to everybody I guess it is. And um, it's unfortunate. It really is that um, this is where we are. But I can't say I'm surprised because, you know, the NHL has been trying to get rid of fighting, which I think is fine. I, you don't need to see fighting every night. It's not about fighting. It's about be, being physical. There can be players that come into the game and aren't going to be as skilled as Sidney Crosby or Marshan Pasternak. But guess what? You're going to earn a job by being a physical player. There's a difference between Trent Frederick and Tom Wilson because Tom Wilson's actually a good player. And Frederick's a guy who thinks he's a stud and he hasn't done a thing to earn, uh, hasn't done anything in the league to earn his place. Frederick for the, for the Bruins is just as dirty as Tom Wilson is. He's trying to fight Ovechkin last week. Like give your head a shake. Like Ovechkin's probably thinking, okay, like what have you done in this league? What's your name? Some Frederick guy. And then he spears in the nads, which I don't blame him. Again, I don't love seeing a spear to the, to the groin. It actually hurts me thinking about it. But, you know, and then yesterday I'm watching Tampa Bay, Chicago, and Connor Murphy gets ejected from the game for hitting a guy right here. If, you, if you're not watching video, right below the chin, not on the head, clean hit. He gets a five-minute and a game misconduct. I, I don't know. There's points where you go to throw a check and a guy's lowering his head and his head's going to get in the way. It's called, it's called guys moving at incredible speeds. It's going to happen. It's a physical sport. There's risk. In the NFL, yes, they've tried to eliminate hand contact, which is a great thing. I'm not a Neanderthal. I'm not saying that you should just try to kill people out there. But there's points where a guy's running and guess what? As a defender, you have no other option. You're going to tackle the guy or the guy's going to keep running and score a touchdown. What are you going to do? You're going to be out of a job if you don't go for the tackle. And maybe you'd make contact with his head. But guess what? You had to stop him. As a defender, that's your only option. Players in this league, you, if you come into the league and you think, you know, Nick Kiprios in his book referenced it. 
he came into the league and said he scored a bunch of goals in junior thought he'd come in the NHL, be a stud, be a star. He said, if I tried to be a star, I would have been out of the league 10 years before I was. And he had to get the physical game going. He had to fight. He had to adapt and eliminating guys like Wilson guys. Like, I look at guys like Josh Anderson who have been suspended in the past, eliminating you're trying to hinder guys from doing what they, what they do best to get to this level. I just think it's counterproductive for the game. Yes. Watching the Toronto Maple Leafs can be really entertaining. Yes. Watching Edmonton can be really entertaining. Watching these teams that are really fast with no girth, but eventually it gets old. You watch Toronto Edmonton seven times this year and there's 10 combined checks in the seven games gets a bit stale. Even for the fantasy nerds who don't even watch the games. I mean, I think when you do turn into a game, you'd like to see a check every now and then. And again, this isn't about fighting. This isn't about trying to hurt people. It's just calling out somebody for being a dirty player when it was not a dirty play. That's what I have. That's my biggest issue here. And yes, he's done some questionable shit in the past, but that was not a dirty play. And for all the Boston Bruins fans, for all the people on their high horse, you know, look in the mirror at what your team is, at what your team has been, what your what your captain represented. And again, I love him because he's like a Wilson. He's like a Josh Anderson. But just think about it. Think about what your team has done. Think about Brad Marchand. He licked people, but that's okay. It's okay to go lick a guy in the face, but then, uh, you know, precious Brandon Carlo takes a hit to the to the body and then he somehow you know his arm hits his head and then it's oh bloody murder but you let brad marchand slew foot and then go lick people all the time seems pretty hypocritical to me but i don't know i'm just a guy like i said I, again 90 percent of the people on this argument are gonna be against me and that's fine i love it bring it you know leave, leave your leave your thoughts in the comments uh i i love hearing it all I'm likely not going to change my opinion, but um, I, uh, it's good to have a good, good, um, good debate and talk about, um, talk, talk about um, th this issue. So I, I think it's a bigger issue than people are really talking about. Again, this is one, one suspension, but the way the league's going, I think this is a major problem. And I think it could really affect the league long-term when it comes to how the game's played in the next 10 to 15 years, because as of right now, it still is a physical sport, but I'm worried that it won't be in, uh, in that time period. Um, you know, Friday was another funny, before the Tom Wilson hit, it was funny for another reason. Two press conferences were held Friday afternoon, one by um, Buffalo Sabres GM Kevin Adams, the other by Vancouver Canucks GM Jim Benning. And I look at these two press conferences and I look at these two teams and I see them very differently. You know, Kevin Adams came out and you said, you know, we're struggling. Obviously, they've lost seven in a row, losing again, losing twice this weekend to the Islanders. And yeah, you know, Kevin Adams, is Buffalo being terrible his problem? No. And I'll tell you what, he got hired six months ago. So you could say the Taylor Hall signing, which hasn't worked, is on Kevin Adams. Totally fair. But you look at the GM, you know, Jason Bonnerell before him, Darcy Regeer, they signed Jack Eichel. They signed Jeff Skinner for eight years at $9 million a year, and he scored his first goal of the year yesterday. 
playing on the fourth line. They still have Rasmus Ristolainen. He's left them with goaltending that's subpar. He's left them with bottom six forwards, which really produce nothing. He's had this, this role for six months, his first GM job. So he, the Buffalo Sabres being terrible is not on Kevin Adams. You know, he can, he can say, I didn't sign these guys. And it's true. It's on him to turn it around. But for this year being a failure, Kevin Adams does not take a lot of bullets because let's face it. He did not bring in these bad pieces. He's, he's scot-free here other than the Taylor Hall signing, but it's one year. You can let him walk. You can move on from it. So, you know, hands are pretty clean when it comes to, to Kevin Adams. The juxtaposition to that is in Vancouver. Jim Benning's been on the job for seven years. They made the playoffs twice. Last year, they made the playoffs, but they wouldn't have in a normal year. They went in the bubble. It expanded to more teams. Vancouver went on an incredible run where Markstrom and Demko really uh, erased a lot of the problems with their organization and kept them competitive. So they made the second round a game away from the conference final. But let's just look at some of Jim Benning's signings. Louis Erickson, six-year deal at $7 million a year. He's, he's on the taxi squad right now, not playing. You got the highest paid AHL player playing for the Utica Comets, which is the affiliate for Vancouver, Sven Berchi making $3.45 million a year. Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel make $3 million a year. They're both fourth line centers that had very little offensively. And uh, they both have another year on their deal. Yikes. You got Brandon Sutter, who they signed a six-year deal, who makes four and a half, who, again, is constantly injured, adds very little offensively, and just been a tire fire for this organization. I'm sensing a pattern where Kevin Adams did not sign these bad players, but Jim Benning did. And you know, Jim Benning, in his press conference, said, I need more time. It's probably going to be another two years. Why the hell should Jim Benning get more time? Kevin Adams didn't come out and say, I need more time. You know, our team's terrible. I know but my last GM sewered me. I need more time. He didn't do that. In, in Vancouver, Jim Benning, you can only look at yourself and say, I screwed the pooch here. I fucked up. And you need more time? People in Vancouver are not, are not receptive to this. And as a fan, you shouldn't be. If you're a Vancouver Canuck fan, they're, you know, I, I talked to my friend Casey this year about Vancouver, and he was telling me you know, Vancouver's going to surprise people. And I told him, no, they're not. They're going to be the second worst team in this division. And they are. They, they are so far away from being competitive. It's scary. They have Pedersen. They have Hughes. Two very good young players, good building block players. Don't get me wrong. JT Miller this year has not looked the same. His body language has been really negative. Braden Holpe has been a flat-out disaster for them in net. Demko's played well lately, but again, he's been in and out. And another bad contract they got. They Tyler Myers. They signed a six-year, $6 million deal. He's on their third pair. Their third defensive pair. It, they got to get all this money off the books. They still have guys years on their contract. Louis Erickson will finally be out, out of this deal this year. Berchi will, but you still have Roussel. You still have Beagle. Who's going to take that money? Then you got to sign Pedersen and Quinn Hughes, who are both eligible to be resigned this summer. Where's the, how much are they going to get paid? You know, we've seen the likes of Matthews and Marner break the bank. How are these young players going to look at this? Are they going to sign a bridge deal? Are they going to look for a huge payday? I mean, if you look at the Toronto model, 
you're going to get paid. You know, Kyle Dubas gave them exactly what they wanted in both cases. So is Jim Benning going to do the same thing in Vancouver? But, you know, you can look at Vancouver and, you know, Buffalo's getting kicked in the, in the nuts right now for being a brutal team, which they are. But Kevin Adams coming out, Jim Benning having the unmitigated gall to come out and say, I need more time. You shouldn't get more time. You don't deserve more time. Seven years on the job. It's like tree living. Like I've been saying here, you don't get more time. Me hired Daryl Sutter. I, you don't deserve more time. If you can't build a winner by then, if you can't build a competitive team by then, you don't deserve more time. And Vancouver's played the most games in hockey at 28 games already. They, I don't see them catching Montreal or you know Calgary for that fourth spot. And they're likely going to miss the playoffs again. And if Jim Benning returned next year for his eighth season as general manager, it would surprise me. And the only reason I think he might is because the Aquilinis make a lot of their money in hotels and in restaurants. And obviously during the pandemic, it's affected them a ton. So maybe they just don't have the money to hire somebody else, but it's not a good reason to keep a, a guy who has failed as a general manager. Let's just be honest here. Um, so interesting is to watch what they do in Vancouver. Um, they said they're not going to negotiate with Quinn Hughes and, um, and Elias Pettersson until after the trade deadline, which is in three weeks, but you know, Jake Vertanen could be on the move, which you know, that's another guy you want to get rid of in, in Vancouver for sure. Um, but I don't see a lot of teams clamoring for the guys that they have. So I don't know other than Vertanen, which a team would be taking a flyer on him. I don't know what kind of value that, that they really have in their roster that teams are, are looking for right now. Um, you know, Carolina Hurricanes, they've been a really good team this year. Um, they've had, you know, playing Florida last night, really tough matchup. The Central Division is, is a tight race where you got Tampa in first, then you got Carolina and Florida trailing and Chicago currently in fourth. You know, Vincent Trocek, I mentioned him, but he's third in the league in goals. He's got 13 goals in the season, four against Florida. And they traded him for Lucas Walmart last year. He played uh, seven seasons in Florida. And they just threw him overboard. You know, I get, again, they're trying to cut salary. I get it, but you know, he's, he's a really good player. He's fitting in perfectly in Carolina, four goals against Florida this year. Great power play player. I think he just fits that Carolina mold where they got a bunch of guys who seem like they have something to prove. You know, Jordan Stahls had a, had a bounce back year, a comeback year, so to speak, you know, Martin Neckash, a young player, you guess Fetchikoff, Aho. Nito Niederreiter's found his game in Carolina, finally. Um, you got Slavin on the back end, you know, Pesci, Dougie Hamilton. This team's a silent team to watch. Um, they got Morazic and Reimer. Morazic's still up with an injury, so they got uh, Neglovich right now in net. But they could surprise some people. Obviously, they're in a division with Tampa, which makes it tough to you know, be a second-round matchup, I think, where you see Tampa-Carolina. But I wouldn't rule them out. I think they can give Tampa a good fight. Uh, if they can get some good goaltending, I look at their back end, it's really tough to beat. And they don't have, you know, Aho and Svechikov will have to, you know, really emerge as elite players. But I like I like their roster a lot. Um, they just, they work really well together. They're a hardworking team. Um, you know, they are getting good goaltending from James Reimer. He's had, he's had a good season for them. And I... They've been to the playoffs multiple years. They know what it's like. And 
you know, they, they've had some success. You know, I think, don't think that the Toronto Maple Leafs when it comes to, to skill, but, you know, this is a team that's made the playoffs that actually won some playoff rounds. So they've been through that grind and there could be a team I could see break through um, a shocking upset of Tampa Bay. And then who knows where it goes from there, but you know, Rob Brendan is going to coach the team the way he wants to. And I think he, he's a guy that he expects a lot of his players. And when they produce, you know, he takes a lot of, a lot of comfort and a lot of credit in that, but he, I, I like the Canes and, and what they've been doing all year. They really haven't dropped off. They've been consistent all season and they're a team to look out for when it comes to, I think Stanley cup odds and just they play consistent night in night out. And that's, you know, half the battle when it comes to, when it comes to the NHL and how, how they do it. I think he's the Carolina hurricanes. have got something really uh, gelling well there. A team that doesn't is uh, Philly. Philly lost to Pittsburgh um, Saturday afternoon, blowing a lead. And they lose last night to Washington without Tom Wilson. Um, and the biggest thing for Philly, a couple of huge problems, bad goaltending. I, mean, I mentioned a couple, a couple of weeks ago with Craig and under review, you know, Carter Hart has been a nightmare that continues. Uh, he's still not good. He hasn't found his game. They're starting Elliot. They started Elliot in back-to-back games last week because Carter Hart just can't make a save right now. I mean, it, I'm not, I'm not going to be nice when somebody has been garbage. I mean, that's just, I'm not going to do it. Um, but you look at that poor goaltending and then I look at their offense. They've had one consistent goal score all year. And that's Joel Farabee, Drew Voracek, you know, JV, I'll put JVR in there too. He's been, he's had a really great season, but can you really expect him to be consistent all year? I, I wouldn't bank on it. We look at Drew Voracek. They're not, they're not producing right now. Farabee has been a great player. You look at Konechny, he's not as consistent as you'd want him to be. I think defensively he's a really terrible liability, turns the puck over a lot in really poor situations. Scott Lawton's been good for them, but again, he's more of a third line player. He's not going to produce night in, night out. But, you know, Drew Voracek, Couturier, these guys need to produce more. And, you know, now they're fifth in the East Division. They're trailing Pittsburgh. Um, by two points and you know, they need to find it um, again. They played back to back this weekend, but you got Boston, you got Washington again, Phil, uh, Pittsburgh still in the mix. You got the Islanders who have been found their hot streak and they can't be beat right now. So in this division, you need to win. You need to win these games. Again, they lose to Pittsburgh and Washington over the weekend it's tough. You know, even the Boston Bruins, you know, they lose to New Jersey yesterday. You need to beat these bad teams in your division point point blank. Um, and I think it's tough. It's going to be interesting to see where this goes. I think the Bruins are on a bit of a tailspin right now as our Phil it's the flyers. You know, Pittsburgh doesn't look like an elite team, but they continue to find ways to get points. And obviously with Berkey and um, Berkey under at the helm there, don't be surprised to see them be active um, in the trade deadline to try to make a push at a uh, you know, playoffs and Stanley Cup while Crosby and Malkin are still in their uh, relative prime here uh, in 2021. Um, last night there was the NBA all-star game. Um, I did not watch a second of it. Um, I don't watch all-star games in any sport, uh, pro bowl, NHL. That's people do. Um, Good for you. Um, I don't uh, partake in that, but one interesting story for me, I read earlier in the day was Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons 
uh, from the Philadelphia 76ers could not compete in a game. And, you know, they came in contact with their barber who tested positive for COVID. And hopefully this does not spread to more players, but I just find it so ironic that the NBA had to have an all-star game during a pandemic. And I get it. TNT wanted on TV. You got a lot of TV money, but why is the NBA all-star game? You know, the game was 170 to 150. I saw this morning again, I didn't watch a second of it, but that's no defense. That's not, that's, that's embarrassing. You know, that's 170 to 150. Guys just probably pulling up from free and just firing, you know, three after three after three. Then you got the dunk contest where again, didn't watch, but I saw the names and I'm like, I, I watched sports regularly. I knew Obi Toppin from the Knicks because he was their first round pick. Um, and he was a really good college player last year, but out of Dayton, but the other two guys, Simons and some other, like, I was like, who is this? The dunk contest used to have big names used to mean something. And when Vince Carter was doing it, when Michael Jordan was doing it, it meant something, not three guys that are, you know, one, I read that one guy was playing in the G league, which is, the AHL, the NBA. I said, what? And, but to have this all-star week in Atlanta during a pandemic where you're just trying to get through your season. Last week we saw the Raptors go through an outbreak. It's unnecessary. It's stupid. I get it's TV money, but I'm, TNT and ESPN would, would much rather have, you know, Celtics, Lakers on a Saturday night than, with LeBron and Jason Tatum and all these guys playing, then have an NBA all-star game where you can at least have these guys involved. And then say they test positive. Then you got, you know, Kyle Kuzma as your star with uh, Marcus Smart. Doesn't make much sense to me why this had to happen. I get it's about revenue, but sometimes health and safety comes first. And I'm a guy that's not even that big on health and safety. So I think this is where you see it here. I, you know, sometimes I don't think about health and safety before I act. And that's just my mantra. But again, in this case, I, I just think it's stupidity and idiotic to think, okay, we needed an all-star game. Who cares anyway? Uh, I'll be interested to see what the ratings are, but for people, like, I guess all-star games are for fantasy nerds because you can bet on it and points and overs and that, but I'm not a fantasy nerd. I really don't gamble. So, um, you know, I'll let the fantasy guys enjoy their little weekend and, when we get back to regular NBA, regular sports, that's when I get, you know, involved again. And also this weekend, it was the start of the Tim Hortons Briar. Um, you know, Scotty's is a good tournament, but, you know, there's usually in, in the field, there's probably three or four different teams that you thought could win. And really that, that was it. Um, I look at this field at the Briar, it's loaded. Um, you got, you know, Kevin Cooey, who's in a wild card. He's a wild card here because of Brendan Botcher curling for Team Alberta. You got, you know, Team Canada and Brad Gushu. You got Gunluxon from Manitoba, who's kind of this younger guy who's who's fun to watch. You have Mike McEwen as a wild card, uh, Brad Jacobs out of Northern Ontario. So it's a loaded field. I think, you know, any one of those guys could win it. Um, you got, you know, even James Gratton from New Brunswick's off to a hot start. You got Steve Laycock, who's a former champion out of Saskatchewan. So, it, it's a loaded field. Um, I think this is the best curling tournament of the year at the Briar. And, you know, good news on the curling front, they announced that the uh, men and women's worlds will be held in the Calgary bubble. So that means, you know, people from Europe and, and uh, will be traveling over 
quarantining and then playing in the bubble in Calgary where they're playing right now. I think that's, that's great for curling. I think that's great for sport. Um, you want to feel a little bit normal and to get the teams over there to get to play. And for, you know, the likes of Kerry Anderson representing Canada and whoever is the men's champion here to get to play against the best in the world and then you know, head into Olympic trials, Olympic qualifying. It's, um, it's a great thing for sports and, um, you know, for these curlers to, to at least get to have some of their season, it'll be a bit later, but they get to, to play their season out and, you know, get to do what they love. So that, that's obviously a positive, but that started Friday. That'll run until the, the final will be Sunday night. But uh, I expect to see a lot of great curling this week. You know, Kevin Cooey's already off to a four and start beating Brad Gushu last night. So we'll see where this goes, but um, I know I'll be locked and loaded on the briar this week. And then also this week, we're going to see um, NCAA basketball um, conference tournaments. So the ACC, you know, SEC, the big 10 championship with, um, you know, likes of Michigan, Illinois, you know, Iowa, Wisconsin. So, you know, the big 10 is a loaded conference and, you know, March madness starts, um, starts next week, uh, late, late next week. So, um, that, that'll be a lot of fun to, to, uh, to track as well. So yeah, everybody, thanks for Frank. Thanks for listening today. Um, I'll be back, uh, tonight, me and Craig will be back, um, doing under review at seven 30. You can find us on Facebook. So I'll be doing that. Be back with Seamus tomorrow night. Um, some more podcasts this week. Be joined by my friend Aaron Brown on Friday for his first um, appearance on the podcast, talking about talking some hockey, among some other things. So um, have a great week. Um, stay safe. We're back in yellow, so we can all uh, enjoy that. But um, again, stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, we'll talk soon.